0: Almighty God, we thank you that you have spoken. We thank you for your kindness and compassion to make yourself known to us as we open up your word together. Now, we pray that you would speak again that you would speak in a fresh way to each of us and produce life within us and deepen our faith. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. Many of you will know, of course, that tomorrow is the winter solstice, the shortest day of the year, so it is a time of physical darkness. We also all, of course, know that the pandemic rages on, and uh, things are climbing, and it's, it's challenging, and so it is also a time of circumstantial darkness. It really doesn't feel like a time when Christmas is just around the corner. My kids were saying this last week that it didn't feel like Christmas was coming close, And I think all of us can relate to that. I love the words of the psalmist in Psalm 94, who says, when I thought my foot slips, your steadfast love, O Lord, held me up. When the cares of my heart are many, your consolations cheer my soul. And I know a lot of us feel like our feet are slipping uh, when there are a lot of cares in our hearts and we desperately need the consolation of God. We are coming to an amazing text this morning, verses 14 through 18 of the prologue of John's gospel in John chapter 1. And my hope and prayer is that as we open up this word together that God will provide consolation for us living in this time of both physical and circumstantial darkness. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory glory as of the only son from the father full of grace and truth for from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace for the law was given through Moses grace and truth came through Jesus Christ these are incredible words deep words encouraging words there is so much here we'll come back to this again on Thursday night on Christmas Eve but In our time together this morning, I want to address, rather than just the the sheer fact, which is overwhelming of his coming, I want to think about the results of his coming as they're shared with us in this text. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. And actually, the original text has the definite article there. The grace and the truth came through Jesus Christ. I'd like to focus on that idea of grace and truth. What does it mean? that this is what came through Jesus. And to do this I first want to set up a, 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 a basic human dilemma that we all wrestle with and that is that we not only live in this moment in a time of physical darkness and circumstantial darkness but we also constantly whether it's in these circumstances or in winter we always live in a world of spiritual and moral darkness. A world in which we're constantly led to something that is not true. That is to say that We live in a world that's in many ways full of lies that keeps us from the truth. I would submit that there is the lie of consumerism which suggests that we are at the center of everything. That everything that we encounter out there is meant to please us and to meet our needs. About 10 years ago, the Boston-based airline JetBlue started a new advertising campaign that was simple. You above all. And in many ways, that's the way that our consumer culture encourages us to think, but it's not true. There is the reality of a well-documented phenomenon called illusory superiority. And this is the lie that we, are better, that we think we are better than we really are. Research shows again and again that most of us think in various areas of life that we are better than average. But if most of us think that, it cannot be true by definition. But this exists throughout our lives. We think we're better than we are. There's the satisfaction lie. The fact that we, and we, we know this isn't true, but we fall prey to it again and again that the things of this world, whatever they are, can satisfy us. And so we chase after them as if they will. There's what I would call the immortality lie. Though, of course, this lie has been harder to believe in the year 2020. The lie that you will not die. The lie that pushes death to the margin, our mortality to the margin. I heard a talk many years ago by Mark Golly, who was the senior editor of Christianity Today at the time, and he talked about three things that we are obsessed with. Youth, technology, and agency. And he said, look, because we're obsessed with these three things, it's actually all underlying a deep denial of our mortality. Of the fact of death. Why are lies so prevalent? this kind of darkness. And those who are astute astute observers of human nature would agree that the truth hurts. It's hard to face. T.S. Eliot said humankind cannot bear very much reality. The Spanish philosopher Jose Ortega y Gasset, who lived in the early 20th century, said this, he said, for life is at the start a chaos in which one is lost The individual suspects this, but he is frightened at finding himself face to face with this terrible reality and tries to cover it over with a a curtain of fantasy where everything is clear. It doesn't worry him that his ideas are not true. He uses them as trenches for the defense of his existence, as scarecrows to frighten away reality. These lies do function in many ways as scarecrows, keeping the complexity and challenge of reality that is often painful and overwhelming far away from us. I wonder if we could say that's one of the reasons there is a growing obsession with virtual reality and living life. I mean, we are thankful for the technology that enables us to at least be together in this way uh, during this pandemic, but there is a sense in which more and more and more of life Is lived through a screen or through what we can catch on camera. And one wonders if this is not actually the fruit of the fact that we know that we can control that virtual world much more than we can control the real world. I wonder all of these lies and scaring away, what are the truths that they're scaring away? I'd like to submit a few to you. The truth that I am small and not the center of the universe. Uh, I took astronomy my first semester in college. And uh, we had this wonderful older professor. He retired shortly after my freshman year. But who taught the class. And it it wasn't a deep uh, dive into astronomy. But it was a basic overview. And at the end in December about this time of year. He said to us all in the last lecture. He said and he was not a Christian. He wasn't a religious man at all. He said if there's any one thing that I've done in this class. It's, I hope that I have made you feel small. And he had certainly done that indeed. There's another truth that we are mortal and will not live forever. It's just true. But I think we try to push it away. The first stanza of Abraham Lincoln's favorite poem entitled, Mortality, by the Scottish poet William Knox, says this, Oh, why should the spirit of mortal be proud? Like a swift fleeting meteor, a fast-flying cloud, a flash of the lightning, a break of the wave, he passeth from life to his rest in the grave. There's the reality or the truth that I'm worse than I think that I am. Far from the mark. I am a diminished version of what humanity was meant to be and what I, in particular, was made to be. There is the truth that Nothing in this world will ever fill me or quench my thirst or make me content. And there is also the truth that the world is worse than we think that it is. There are so many who are starving. There's 750 million people who live on less than a dollar and 90 cents a day. So much injustice, so much corruption, and many of us are privileged to remain insulated from these harsh realities. But obviously in this quite difficult year of the pandemic and its impact upon the entire world, we have all seen just how challenging the world can be. And we've also seen how unjust even the effects of a pandemic can be upon humanity. It's no wonder that in light of these truths that we often wanna just escape, just turn on the TV, or look at our smartphone, or throw ourselves into our work, or various hobbies that we may pick up. These can often become our ways of not confronting the harsh realities of the truth around us and our scarecrows to frighten reality away. So what's the big deal? Why can't we just continue to live like that? Seems to work okay in some ways. Can't we just enjoy the diversions? and make it through and cope. And I would suggest to you that the big deal is this, that we need the truth to be fully alive. Any relationship reveals this. Relationships depend upon truth for them to be healthy and flourishing. I say to every engaged couple that I've ever counseled before their wedding day, look, the most important part of communication, which is at the heart of any good marriage is truth. Are you being truthful with one another? If you begin to introduce lies and deception into a marriage or a friendship or any other kind of relationship, yeah, formally the relationship might continue in some ways, but it becomes a hollow shell, lacking any vitality in life. Lies divorce us from reality, but reality is the only sphere in which we can genuinely live. Lies are like thick smog that roll into the neighborhood, choking our breath and distorting our vision and obscuring the light and ultimately leading to struggle and hardship. The power of a lie is not in its ability to give us life. That's always what a lie says. That's what the first lie was in the Garden of Eden in Genesis 3. You will become like God. That's the promise. But the power of a lie is always its ability to take life away because that's what a lie must do. Later in John's gospel Jesus says this of the devil he has nothing to do with the truth because there is no truth in him. He is a liar and the father of lies. Why is the devil the father of lies? Because he does not want humanity to flourish. He is the enemy of humankind and therefore he traffics in lies that take us away from the genuineness of life. So the question is what can we do? How do we deal with this dilemma? And the beauty of this story that John tells from chapter 1 to chapter 21, but of this story in compact form in the prologue, is that in Jesus there is a way out of the dilemma. That we can only live in the truth, but we cannot face the truth. And yet Jesus comes and makes a huge difference in this and shows us a way forward. Why did he come? Verse 18. No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made him known exegeted the father he's he's the self revelation of god he is god's autobiography he is the one who came to make god known this is why he came and this affects the dilemma there is a monument to lord admiral horatio nelson in trafalgar square in london he was a war hero and admiral in the british navy It was built in 1843 about 30 years after Nelson's death it's over 150 feet tall and at the tall at the the height of the monument there is an 18 foot tall sandstone statue of Lord Admiral Nelson himself but obviously the problem was as visitors and guests come to the monument is you can't you can't see him he's way too high so about 50 years ago at least for a time they put a six-foot replica of Lord Nelson down at eye level so that people could see what he looked like and in a sense Jesus is God at our eye level Jesus is the one who brings the one who is far above us that we could not see and couldn't really grasp down right before us so that we can see him and understand him and know him he came to make him known as I said earlier in this series God wants us to look at Jesus if we want to know who he is we are to look at Jesus And that's what verse 18 says. And this helps us out of the dilemma. Because in Jesus we confront and see and and have revealed to us the most basic dimension of reality that there is. Who is God himself. And once we see him clearly. We are enabled by seeing him to then begin to look at all of reality without flinching or fear or the need for lies. The incarnation reveals God to us so that we can look at and confront the truth all around us so my question is who does Jesus reveal this God to be and why is this so liberating given our human predicament and the key is in verse 14 we have seen his glory glory as of the only son from the father full of grace and truth A glory full of grace and truth. So what does this mean, grace and truth? Well, it's important that we understand the background to these five verses in the prologue. Comes from Exodus 33 and 34, which we read earlier in the service. Another moment of the self-revelation of God to his people. Moses asked God to see his glory. That is a request to get to the very core of who God is. And so God grants that request but says he must hide him in a rock as his glory passes by and then as God passes by he reveals himself in a deeper way and says in Exodus 34 verse 6 the Lord the Lord a God merciful and gracious slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness Those two words are close in meaning and they go together to reveal God's unilateral commitment and faithfulness to his people. God will be committed and it's so revealing that God reveals this about himself after Exodus 32 when God's people had fallen into sin and idolatry by making the golden calf because Moses was stuck up on the mountain. In the midst of their unfaithfulness God reveals the very core of his being, of his character, of his nature, as a God who abounds in steadfast love and mercy. I will be faithful, God is saying. There's a beautiful picture of this in the book of Genesis, in Genesis 15. When God and Abraham are making this covenant together and this covenant ratification ceremony of cutting the animals in half and putting them on either side and both parties of the covenant would then walk through the animals to say, if we don't keep our end of this covenant, so be it to us as it was to these animals. Yet what happens in Genesis 15? Abram falls asleep into a deep sleep. While he's on the sideline, God in the form of a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch Goes through the animals. Passes down and says so be it to me. He takes it upon himself. It's a unilateral commitment. Even while Abraham is asleep. The grace and truth of John's gospel. Points back to the abounding and steadfast love and faithfulness of Exodus 34. In Jesus God reveals himself as the God who is faithful to his world and his people. The God who won't give up. But has a unilateral commitment to bless the world and this is even more than what we see in Exodus 34. John is playing on this relation there are many dimensions of this text that relate back to that one as if to say this is even greater than what happened then. Back then Moses asked if he could see God's glory and God says look no one can see my face and live and so he hides them in the rock but here we read in verse 14 we have seen his glory. God came among us in the person of his son. God present to us. God revealing himself to us in the person of his son. John wants us to be very clear when he writes his first epistle, which begins in this way, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. John wants us to know we saw him. We walked with him. We ate with him. We drank with him. We ministered with him. We were with him. We saw him in his glory this is a greater moment of his revelation here God reveals himself in the person of his son as one full of grace and truth where is that grace and truth revealed we catch that in verse 14 we have seen his glory glory as of the only son from the father full of grace and truth in other words we see his revelation in his glory and it's there that we see that he's full of grace and truth yet where in this gospel do we see the glory of Jesus We might think, well, it's in his miraculous healings or in the miraculous provision of bread in the wilderness or giving sight to the blind or even raising Lazarus from the dead. But yes, those things do reveal his glory in a sense. But John's gospel is is clear about where the glory of Jesus is made known. And it's at the cross. Jesus says in John 12, 23, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. I will be glorified at the cross, he's saying, at the hour of my death, at my crucifixion. Because it's here that the grace and truth of God is manifest. The faithfulness of God, his committed love to his world is most manifest. Here at the cross is where he deals with the reality of sin. Behold, the Lamb of God, John the Baptist says, who what? Who takes away the sin of the world. Where does he do that? He does that at the cross. It's at the cross that he becomes the sacrifice on our behalf that brings about forgiveness and a washing away of our guilt, a cleansing. It's also at the cross that he defeats the powers of sin, evil, and death, and the devil himself. So in chapter 12 verse 31, now Jesus says, at the hour of my death is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. It's at the cross that that victory is won decisively that the devil is defeated and with the devil death itself so Athanasius can say he has come into our country and dwelt in one body amidst the many and in consequence the designs of the enemy against mankind have been foiled and the corruption of death which formerly held them in its power has simply ceased to be. It's at the cross that we see the glory of God in his dealing with sin. In his defeat of the powers of darkness. And the cross is the emblematic sign of God's great love for us. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Or in John 13one we we're told that Jesus had loved his disciples who were in the world. And now he loved them to the end or to the uttermost. And the next day he dies on the cross. In John's first epistle he says this is how we know what love is. That Jesus, that he laid down his life for us. Or Paul in Romans 5. But God shows his love for us in this. That while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The glory of Jesus, full of grace and truth. Is a glory that shows the abounding steadfast love of God to his world and to his people. And there is no greater way of seeing this than seeing it at the cross. And he was there hanging by himself. Like the smoking firepot and the flaming torch that passed through the animals in Genesis 15. Everyone fled and Jesus is there at the cross saying, I will be faithful. I will make a way where there is no way. I will take the cost upon myself to make this happen. To demonstrate my grace and truth. My faithfulness and steadfast love. What does he bring to us because of this revelation of his glory at the cross? Verse 16 teaches us what he brings. For from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. We've received this favor that we didn't deserve. We've received the presence and goodness of God that we didn't deserve. We've received this cleansing and this liberation that we didn't deserve. There's so much more from his fullness. We've received grace upon grace. Two years ago our family was able to go spend some time out in California for the first time and it was the first time that our kids had gotten to see the Pacific Ocean and we drove down to South Laguna and and got out of the car at Thousand Steps Beach and walked down the I guess it's a thousand steps to get down to the beach and we walked out onto the beach and we were overwhelmed at the power of the ocean. Actually the red flags were flying the lifeguards weren't letting anyone in the water because a storm had just come through the previous couple of days and the swells were high and powerful and dangerous and so we just sat there mesmerized watching wave after wave roll upon the beach and crash with a great thunder never ending out of the fullness of the ocean these waves just kept kept coming and in many ways that's a picture of the grace that comes out of the fullness of Jesus himself wave after wave There is never an end to it. It just continues to flow and crash upon our lives in every and any circumstance and situation. Yes, there is the grace of our salvation, the grace of forgiveness, the grace of new life. There's the grace of the spirit, the grace of the community of God's people that we have now a family who loves us. There's the grace of purpose and a mission that our lives make sense. And restoration to that which we were created to be, image bearers of the God of heaven and earth. All of these things are a grace. And the result of his coming is that we would receive out of his fullness. Could you imagine the ocean ever running dry? No. Can we ever imagine Jesus running dry of grace? No. Out of his fullness that we would all receive grace upon grace. This overflow of life that comes from him. This is the gift that we receive from him. It is abundant. Many of us know, I'm sure, and love this Great hymn, O the deep, 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 love of Jesus, written by Samuel Trevor Francis in 1890. O the deep, deep love of Jesus, vast, unmeasured, boundless, free, rolling as a mighty ocean in its fullness over me. Underneath me, all around me, is the current of thy love. O the deep, deep love of Jesus, love of every love the best. Tis an ocean vast of blessing, tis a haven sweet of rest. We've received grace upon grace. There is grace from God in any and every situation. I know that Mandy and I can speak of many stories in our lives, as I'm sure many of you can do in yours, when the circumstances were not ideal, when they were difficult, when we didn't know which way was up, really. When God demonstrated his presence and grace to us in profound ways. There is grace for every situation, even in the midst of this pandemic, in this dark month, when the surge of the pandemic increases, there is grace from our God in every situation. There's a little technicality here in verse 16, grace upon grace as the ESV translates it, that the word there in between the two words of grace actually means in the place of or instead of. And we could say grace in the place of grace and then get the explanation in verse 17 for the law was given through Moses and that takes us back to Exodus 32 to 34 when Moses receives the law from God. This was an amazing gift of grace that God would reveal to his people his own will for their lives and how they are to live out of his rescue from slavery in Egypt. He then shows them this is how we're going to live in this new family that I brought you into. That was a grace for the law was given through Moses. But grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. There was grace, but now in the place of that grace, there is a greater grace. The grace of God revealed in his son and given in his spirit to all who would come and believe in him. This is liberating to go back to the dilemma that I began with. Because we see that at the core of reality, the the basic dimension the deepest dimension of reality is this God who is full of grace this God whose grace and truth is manifest to us in the faithfulness that he expresses to the world and to his people at the cross of Jesus Christ it is this love that's expressed there that is the center of our reality not our smallness not our shortcomings not the broken world not our mortality but is God's love the love of the Father the Son and the Holy Spirit that are made clear and plain and at the center of our universe. And this love is available to us. And because of this love, we, as we saw last week, are given the right to become children of God who are born of God. We are brought into a transformation, we are made something new. And in that newness, as children of the Father, we can relinquish the lies upon which we so frequently depend and into which we so frequently retreat. The scarecrows are unnecessary. We can look at reality, knowing that the deepest dimension of reality is what Christ has made known to us about the God of the universe. That means that we can even in this moment, we can look at this pandemic and the destruction that it has caused in our world. And we can lament that with our neighbors and with one another. And we can grieve over that and we can wrestle with the evil that seems to be at play in all of this. And we can do so without flinching and be honest about that. Because we know that behind all of that, there is a God who is great and good. Who is faithful and true. Who has made himself known in his son, most of all in the cross where his son was glorified. Where we saw his grace and truth most powerfully manifest. And it enables us to look at these present moments. And to have assurance even in the midst of our grief and our anxiety and our fear. There is no reality that we cannot face resolutely as a beloved son or daughter of God. Because God has demonstrated once and for all that he is on our side. We need not fear. We need not fall prey to lies. We can be honest about our own sins, our own shortcomings, our own failures, our own fears before God and before others. We can be free to live in the fullness of reality, which includes all of the difficult things But underneath them all and enveloping them all and over them all as these waves crashing again and again is the love of God. The God of love who is at the center of everything. If we are stuck in a lie, if we are afraid to confront reality, if we are escaping into half-truths, In virtual worlds that don't really exist. Then let me encourage you this morning. To see his glory. A glory that is full of grace and truth. A glory that reveals his unending love. And to be invited back into the truth. Back into the reality. Back into freedom. Remember what Jesus said in John 8. And you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Let me close by returning to the truths with which I began that often terrify us. In light of this revelation, self-revelation of God and his son, our smallness. Yes, we may be small. In fact, we are small, but we are children of the King beloved by God the God who made all things, and we are worth far more than we ever dared to imagine. There's the truth of our mortality, as we have been reminded of throughout this pandemic. Death is real, but its power to induce fear and to kill dreams and to paralyze is all done away with by the reality of God and his love and his resurrection. Jesus says, whoever lives and believes in me will live even though he dies. There's the truth of our missing the mark, of not being what we were made to be, of being just a fraction of what we were created to be. But now we can confront that reality in the warmth of God's love, of his faithfulness, without needing to sugarcoat it and admit that we are sinners, admit that we fall short, admit that we are broken, admit that we're not yet there and create a community where it's okay to be honest about the fact that we don't have it all together. We can confront that truth. It's true about me. It's true about you. And we need not be afraid of it there is that truth of the inability of the world to satisfy us but we say okay we have tasted of the living water the one who gives life without measure and we will not be thirsty again and then there is that truth that the world is broken something we've seen pretty clearly this year and we say in the face of that look it's not going to stay that way and not just because a second vaccine was approved by the FDA at the end of this past week Though we thank God for that. No the remedy for the world and its brokenness is that God in his grace and truth will one day fully free the world from it, from its bondage to sin. He'll one day eradicate sin and evil from the world entirely. Justice will come, beauty will come, healing will come, reconciliation and peace will come. Do you see, brothers and sisters, that we can look at all of these things in the light of the deepest dimension of reality who is God revealed to us in Jesus, full of grace and truth, grace upon grace being given to us as his children, that we can now look at the world and be honest and truthful without flinching and face the world and be agents of his grace and life in the midst of this world. We are invited in to the fullness of his grace, to the center of reality, that we might become agents of his grace and truth in a world of darkness. This is our wonderful privilege. This is what it means to be able to say with John from his, from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. We are liberated from lies. We are set free in the truth to live a fully human life to the glory of God. Let's pray. Oh God, how we worship and praise you for your great love. For the grace and truth of your glory manifest at the cross. And Lord, I pray simply that in the midst of these trying times for all of us, as Christmas approaches and it just doesn't feel right, we all feel a bit off. I pray that we would be reminded of the depth of your love at the center of reality that was made known to us through your son. You are so good, O oh Lord, to reveal yourself to us. Let us see you, we pray. Show us your glory. Show us your son, Jesus, afresh and anew as we come into Christmas later this week. We pray this in his name. And we pray that he would be lifted up above all. Amen.